but she calls them running fire drills, where she'll visualize, you know, adverse scenarios or situations, which then she visualizes herself coping with it or navigating that. You're listening to the Birdie Dad podcast. They can't make a birdie, but they can dad. And now your hosts, Jared, Brian and Trevor. Hey, golf fans. Welcome back. Uh, I have an excited to bring you a special guest this week. It's not only Trevor, Brian and I, but we actually have a new guest and I want to introduce Dr. Megan Cannon. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Megan. Brian, Trevor, welcome to the show again, as always. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Good to have a guest, someone else to talk to. <laughs> so, Dr. Dr. Uh, Megan, you're, you're a uh, sports psychologist, and I've seen you on ESPN Sports Center. I've seen you in different TV and different spots, and you bring a really great approach, a mental side of the sports. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and how did you get to this point in your career? I was fortunate enough to have parents that put me in sports when I was very young. So I was a swimmer. I was a softball player. I danced. I also dabbled in you know, a variety of other sports as well. And then upon going to college, I chose to retire from the athletic side. I kept dancing. It was my minor in college. But at that point, you know, sort of came to the realization that the athletic world, it was no longer going to be a part of in that capacity outside of a fan. Um, in college, I studied clinical psychology, and it was just a really good fit. In psychology, there's not much you can do with a bachelor's. And so I was fortunate enough to get into a PhD program in clinical psychology at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale. And at the time, had no idea sports psychology existed, but there was a sports psychologist on the faculty there. So I had an opportunity to work with him and was accepted into their sports psychology program, which we were the sports psychologists that were basically on retainer for the university athletes, in addition to doing some concussion programming as well. But we had the opportunity to work with the athletes there on both the performance side of things, but also being that the degree is overall in clinical psychology with a specialization in the sport performance piece. Any of the athletes that were having any more typical clinical issues, anxiety, depression, the emotional health piece, they would come to us. They would never set foot in the counseling center. And so it was in this kind of aha moment opportunity of two of my worlds colliding, you know, the sport world I thought that I had retired from was now coming back and combining with the psychology piece. And for me, it was such a good fit. It was an area I was passionate about and the population I work with, um, I have a practice and a company that's located in Pennsylvania outside of Philly. And I work with athletes individually from the high school collegiate level, a handful of middle schoolers. And I also have the opportunity to do team consulting with high school and collegiate teams, along with club programs across the country, um, speak at conferences, and just have the opportunity to use the sport piece and combined with the psychology piece and not only helping promote positive emotional health for athletes, but also hitting on that sport performance piece, as I'm sure we will talk about being that sports are very mental. And so it's been a really nice, happy accident, I think, over time of, of finding this, this niche area that, that for me was just a really good fit. And I've had a lot of incredible opportunities since then. Well, when you're saying that stuff, I feel like you're talking to me. Sports is mental. <laughs> um, I, I can relate to that right there. 
Absolutely. I, I got one kind of selfish question before we get into, you know, the sports side of it. Uh, you've been on ESPN a couple times and um, we're, we're, you know, headed there. We're going to be on ESPN soon. I can feel it. <laughs> of course. So soon, how, yeah. how, how did you mentally prepare to be on ESPN? You know, it was so interesting. And, and maybe now in the world of all of us being on Zoom and talking to our computers all the time. So it, it just, that's what I, I did. You know, I was being located in Pennsylvania, they're located in Connecticut. So I was not in a studio. I was in the office that I worked in every day and spoke to the computer. And so that was very helpful. Uh, one time I had no idea what questions they were asking. It was a total on the fly move. Uh, the other times they did give me some examples of questions and the topics that we were discussing. So it was a lot of deep breaths, a lot of trying to just prepare as best I could, making some of those unknowns known of, of what my responses would be. But yeah, it was a, one of those things that I think had been in the studio, it might have been a little bit different. But since I was in my environment, it made that a little bit easier. I got to know when on one of those spots you were talking about Kyle Lowry, did he call you afterwards and, and thank you for your comments? <laughs> no, no, he did not. I'll still wait for that call, Kyle. Anytime we can talk. Yeah. <laughs> he, we're going to get him on the show soon too. And, you know, we'll get you back on. <laughs> awesome. Get that feedback. So when cool. you're talking with sports and pro athletes and, and just athletes in general, I was wondering, what do you think a, a percentage of, of these high level athletes that are, are working with a sports psychologist at some point in their career? Do you think it's a hundred percent or close to it? I would, you know, I really would say it's definitely getting up there and probably depending on the sport a little more or less, you know, MLB, there's a lot of Dr. Ken Revisa comes to mind. He had really deep roots with that. Um, you know, you look at Mark Cuban, who when he took over the Mavericks, like one of the first things he did was contracted a sports psychologist like immediately. And now we're hearing of the individual athletes from, you know, Kevin Love in the basketball world. We're hearing Michael Phelps, Allison Schmidt, Simone Biles, Laurie Hernandez, you know, all of these elite athletes coming more public with it. Um, but, you know, in, at the U.S. Olympic Training Committee or in their um, training facility, you know, they have sports psychologists there. And it's those things that it's been something that's existed for a while, but we're just starting to hear about it more. And it's just starting to be more accessible to um, the high school and college level, more so the college at this point. In 2016, the NCAA mandated sports psychology resources and services. Um, it was this big initiative that they put out because mental and emotional health was the number one health and safety concern communicated from division one through three athletes. And so they have this great document called mind body sport. You can Google it and they, they outline different models of just saying, Hey, universities, you have to figure this out. It's something that we need to make as accessible to athletes as them going to the athletic trainers when they sprain their ankle. So, you know, we're, we're seeing the trickle down, but from that elite area, those resources are, are there. And I would say it's a, a very notable amount of those athletes that are, are taking that step and training their mind to help them supplement the physical skill that they have. Right. It's awesome. The, it's awesome. Yeah. I, and, I, and I work I, with kids in the, in the lower levels, the, the teenage years a lot. And right now, and that's before COVID that you're talking about. I mean, right now with COVID, mental health is a major, major topic, right? That's yeah, it's I'm, it's big. I mean, you saw what Dak Prescott had. He got a little um, publicity for that recently, and talking about the the effects of COVID, and 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 we're talking about a major professional athlete there. 
Yeah. And there was, you know, recently I saw that there was a study that came out of the University of Wisconsin that in this past year from March to May, they had surveyed their athletes and 67% of them were saying, and this was just March to May, you know, they were saying 67% reported symptoms of depression, 65% reported symptoms of anxiety. I was even on calls uh, with athletes today. I'm meeting with all of my athletes virtually. And I mean, they're sad. My my days have shifted from more of a sport performance to an emotional health of either I'm stuck at home with my parents and like, I'm 22 years old, like what is happening (laughs) to then, oh my goodness, what's happening with the seasons? We don't know these different things to, okay, I'm at college, but I'm basically secluded to my pod of people. And this is, it's just the emotional health piece really has been a thing that, that even just in, in the sample size that I work with, I have noticed a swing that that is what I'm talking and spending most of my time with now over the sport performance piece where this time last year, you know, that was, that was definitely a different ratio. So what are some simple tips for what they're going through? Right now, um, what we've, I've really been focusing on is, you know, focusing on the little things intentionally doing things throughout your day that help boost your emotional energy. Our emotion, emotional energy is ultimately, you know, our a mental and emotional capacity to navigate stress. And that could be a basic conversation with a friend all the way to those twists and turns that just happen in a day. And right now we have a lot of things that are decreasing our emotional energy. You know, you think about physical energy, it makes sense that at the end of a practice or the end of the day, you're tired, you have to go to bed. Like we get that. We don't think about that from the emotional side where we do not have an infinite amount of emotional energy or capacity. And so right now we have a lot of emotional output. You still have the same stressors of school, family, friends, relationships, but we're not having that emotional input of getting to see people, of getting to go out and the, the typical things that, you know, we, we do even so much as kids walking across a campus at college, you know, getting to say hi to people. Like that's not something that we're having. And so right now it's really trying to identify those small things in your day that bring you joy, that boost that emotional energy up, whether it's petting your dog, going for a walk. I had an athlete who was talking about her coffee making sort of routine in the morning. And you know, whatever those things are throughout your day, it's not only doing them, but doing them intentionally so that you're not going on autopilot, that you're really getting that emotional boost or that emotional recharge because we do have so much emotional drain right now that we need to try to balance that. And so one of the the big things I've really been talking with the athletes about is focusing on those little things um, and, and intentionally and purposefully doing them along with a lot of talking about growth mindset, where right now growth mindset is that idea that with time, practice, effort, whatever traits and talents I have, I can grow. Um, we have some pretty strict schemas of what we believe training is where right now we can't do that for a lot of sports. And so it's, it's growing our capacity of, of what we believe and what we see as a typical training year or cycle and what to expect. Um, and so those are, have been really the two things that with the athletes, we've really been emphasizing and challenging them to focus on. Yeah. So, I mean, to ask you, you have, you're going taking an athlete from how, how do they control all the adrenaline from within the sport to now lacking all of that adrenaline, right? To a lack of sport, a lack of anything. I mean, 
So when it shifts back, what do you work with them on when they're in that moment? I know you talk a lot about, I've looked a lot of your work. You talk about how they handle that moment. What's something you work with them on now in that, in that sporting event when they start to lose control? Yeah, the, you know, the absolute best performance tool is ultimately your breath. Our breath is something that it's free. <laughs> you cannot overdo it. You cannot, you know, it's, it, it is, it is literally there. And I, I tell, I, I get sick of saying that word so much is like breath and awareness. You have to be aware of where you're at and your breath is ultimately the thing that can help you physically pump the brakes. It's the only automatic function in your body. Only one that you can choose to control if and when you want to, which is pretty crazy when we think about that. And so our breath is something that physically can help us slow down, take that moment. But then also if I'm focusing and thinking about taking that breath, not only is it slowing me down physically, but mentally those racing thoughts, it's going to crank the speed down as well. And if I'm focusing on my breath, which is something that I'm doing in the moment right now, real time, now physically and mentally, I'm, I'm working in conjunction with myself rather than breathing, but still thinking about all of the unknowns that are happening. So that our breath at, at its most basic level is the thing that whether it's right now or as we you know, ideally transition back to sports and get back to those really intense moments. You know, your breath is that tool. I call it the backup generator. It's always going to be there for you. It doesn't matter where you are. And that, that really is the thing that um, my athletes probably get sick of hearing me say that, but it's true. <laughs> Trevor, Trevor, you're, you're, I mean, we're dads on here and Trevor, you have the oldest daughters. Is there something running through your mind that you, you have to know as you're sitting there taking notes? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, as far as my kids getting into golf and just sports in general and activities, you know, they, um, my nine-year-old's probably going to be coming into some emotions here and I've already starting to see that on the golf course, you know? So when she plays some competitive rounds, she'll, she'll turn a corner after, you know, triple bogey and just, you know, kind of melt. And, you know, that's, that's one thing I just struggle with is like, okay, she wants to quit on the course. How do I get through that? Do I give her just support? Do I tell her, okay, it's your choice? I mean, I'm, I always kind of go between, do I be the mean dad and kind of force this or do I kind of just let her play this out? I, I just, that's my toughest thing with a nine-year-old and kind of, you know, the performance anxiety part of it. So I, I'm looking for any tips in that matter. Yeah. You know, there's in those moments when they're already beating themselves up, whether it's in the middle of a round or after, um, you may have the the Tiger Woods level, like absolute best piece of feedback that they would need to fix everything. But in that moment, it doesn't matter. Yeah, They're not going to so hear true. it. <laughs> you yeah, know? Totally. And so, so in terms of giving that feedback and giving, you know, that, that, Hey, this is what maybe the breakdown was could have done differently. Um, I would say like, you know, wait, wait till after there doesn't need to be anything, you know, unless they're asking for it of like, Hey, what was this? And that could even be a conversation you have in advance of if, and when you want feedback, like you ask me, you know, I'm, we'll talk about it later. Um, but you know, a lot of athletes, their most negative athletic memory is the car ride home, um, okay. where they're <laughs> kind of being stuck. Literally you think about it, they're stuck in this tube with someone that's like talking about what they did wrong or whatever. And like, I have athletes that just like that to them is a really horrific period of time. Um, and so I always challenge parents and I've spoken with, I do, um, you know, parent talks of parenting student athletes from literally Florida to Seattle. And I put the challenge out of like, Hey parents, if you can find a research study that correlates talking about 
whatever game practice in the car immediately after with future sport performance, send it Mm -hmm. to me and I will stop preaching this. (laughs) But it is not (laughs) something we have to talk about right away. You know, I mean, let him get home, let him shower, give him some food, maybe even like sleep a little bit. Um, But then afterwards, whether it's a couple hours or even the next day, whatever feedback you're going to give them, they're going to be able to hear a lot more. Okay. I like that a lot. I mean, I have memories of myself as an athlete riding in the car, hearing the whole game replayed, thinking, gosh, I know I screwed that up. I don't need to hear it again. Right. And (laughs) and once once they hit a certain age, you know, I mean, nine, you're probably coming into it depending on how long they've been playing, you know, but, but they know, you know, they already know some of the things they've, they've done that, you know, their mistakes and especially the older that they get, they don't need you to reiterate it because they're already mentally doing it to themselves. Right. I guess another question I'd have on follow-up on that is just, you know, when you get these kids that are getting into older middle school, you know, you see a lot of them these days playing just one sport, you know, club sports all year long, and that's all they do. I I grew up in a world where I was playing, you know, three or four sports, and I had that, you know, distraction of changing seasons every three months. But I just see that kind of mounting pressure in some of these local athletes with these, you know, all-year-round sports. And I just, I'm trying to avoid that as best I can, but I just... I can see it. It's just the way of the world is, is going. So I'm trying to trying to figure out how to distract her and just kind of keep her, you know, I guess, um, on different paths, not just focused all on one. So oh, it makes it absolutely. less pressure. Absolutely. You know, I mean, in terms of identity development, just having those multiple things, even things in and outside of sports, because, you know, as every athlete, anybody that's ever played sports, like there's a slump and it happens. And if I only do one thing and I now have a, I'm experiencing a slump in that one thing, well, where, you know, now I'm like, you know, where's my confidence? I don't have other hooks to be like, well, golf isn't going well right now, but like tennis, all right. You know, I just like killed it yesterday with that. And so in terms of that identity and, and having and building their, their self-concept is really important. But also, you know, with the specialization in sports, what we're seeing is more significant injuries with these athletes at younger and younger ages, just blowing out, you know, muscular parts of their body that there it's, it's like, what? you know, where these are not injuries that we, you know, maybe 10 years ago would see, in just older athletes. And when I say older, you know, like the twenties, but now we're seeing these things in 15, 16 year old kids where they're having multiple ACL, MCL blowouts and things because they're just using the same muscle groups over and over and over again for however many months a year. And so even from just a body development situation, not super helpful. Um, and so, you know, that's another thing, but even when you're talking with, you know, college coaches, they like the the multifaceted athlete because not only now am I having an athlete whose body is more well-rounded and, and, you know, there's less pressure there with that one sport, but also in terms of potential future injury potential, I have someone that's body isn't as worn down in those muscles of the sports that I'm wanting them for, for the next four years. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that I might be a, a, prime recruit for some of these coaches out there. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that I haven't played a lot of these pro sports. I'm ready to go. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And so talk about, you know, with, with kids, I mean, is there anything to look for when they're starting to burn out? I mean, you you talk about switching sports is great for their body, their mind. Um, Is there anything you work with at the kids where you, you can kind of see that happening where they're, they're risking that exhaustion mentally with the sport? 
Yeah. I mean, it may sound so simple, but when they're just like not having fun with it anymore, I, this is a true story. I had a teenage athlete. She was a young teenager and she was a pitcher. And you know, when she's a pitcher, it's like, great, we got to go to all these extra lessons and blah, 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 blah. And one day she was like, I quit pitching. Like, you know, they come into my office and they're like, she quit. I was like, what? Like she quit. And so then when, when the the athlete and I were alone, I was like, so what's going on? And she was (laughs) basically, this was that young teenager's way of exerting control. Cause she was Hmm. like, Mm-hmm. I'm not able to go to sleepovers. I'm not able, like I have to leave whenever the fun stuff starts. I'm only able to go to this. And so I don't want to do that anymore. So she still liked pitching. <laughs> she still loved <laughs> softball, but this was her ability to exert that control where she was just like, I quit, you know? And so that's ultimately, you know, what we want to avoid. And so it's, it's riding that line, especially when they're younger of like, and even, even into the the high school um, scenario where, if it's a best friend's birthday party, it's okay for them to go and skip practice. And it's okay for them to have these other things. And if that means, you know, hey, we're, we're only having this extra private lesson, you know, once every other week or once every three weeks versus every week, you know, that's fine. And it's, you know, I think a lot of it is there's what I like to call this like parent peer pressure now of like, oh my goodness, well, they're doing this extra training and going to this coach and doing this. And so I want to, I want to provide those opportunities for my kid. So I need to do that too. When we don't really need to do that. Um, you know, and so, so that's a very extreme example of how this young female athlete just put her foot down Uh side note. She is returned to pitching since then. Yeah. Um, and there, there's yeah. a bit of a, a compromise there of, of the, the lessons, but you know, when they're just not having fun anymore or when they don't want to go and where you're getting more of that resistance back or it used to be like, oh, they would just have fun and it wasn't an argument to go, but now there's an argument to go. You know, you think about there's always a function of a behavior, you know, and so if there's now all of a sudden this resistance to going, is it that they really actually don't like it anymore and want to quit? Or is it, hey, we maybe need to pump the brakes a little bit, go do something else, have a more of a balance so that they're not doing the same thing all the time. You know, I use the comparison of pizza. It's a lot of people's favorite, like they love pizza, but if you had to eat pizza, every single day for lunch and dinner, you would be so thankful to just have a sandwich every now and again. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> so it's, it's really just having that awareness you know, from the adult side, cause you know, the other one's driving them there, you know? And so it's having and kind of keeping our pool in check of what we feel is necessary versus what might actually really be necessary. Do you have a lot of parents that come to you wanting to help prepare their kids from high school to college? Have you have you seen much of that? I mean, trying to see if you can set them up for the future. Yeah. So, you know, the the phone calls that I get, um, you know, sometimes it's athletes with injuries. Other times it's a lot of performance anxiety. But then other times I have parents that are just like, hey, you know, my kid, they they want to play in college. It's not something that we're pushing, um, but we just want to set them up with skills. Because ultimately, whether they're playing a sport or not, that transition from high school to college, if you think back to it, everything about your life changes in 24 hours. From what you see when you wake up to what you see when you go to bed and everything in between is different like that. And you're away from home, you're away from support systems. And so I do have parents that it's, you know, it's not so much anything's wrong or anything's, you know, going on. It's just, hey, we want to provide our athlete or our child just with skills to help them with this transition. And so that is something that um, I do. I, I do get a couple phone calls about that. It typically um, sometimes in like the spring, 
time if their athlete is going to school, um, or it might be at that front end of their like junior year around the recruiting time to just kind of help them navigate some of the stressors with that. But it, you know, I, I think it's great. Um, I do have some parents, you know, there's, there is definitely sports psychology or psychology in general. It's like, ah, my gosh, something's wrong. But I love it when I do have proactive parents that are like, Hey, there's nothing wrong. We just don't know these things. And we, there, these kids are never taught that we teach, we teach kids basic math. We don't teach them basic emotion. And so Mm -hmm. we just want to give them skills. And so then we just teach skills and just different things for them to ideally make this transition, you know, with or without athletics. Um, a more smooth and positive one for those athletes. You teach them to breathe, right? That's the number one. <laughs> number one. We talk about breathing. <laughs> we talk about awareness. We talk about, you know, accepting our feelings because we, in our culture, you know, are really taught like anxiety is bad or being angry is bad or being sad is bad. When it's not, it's literally biology. You're not, not going to be that. But if I'm going to, if I'm starting to stress of like, oh my gosh, I need to calm down. I need to calm down. All that's going to do is escalate myself. That's it. And so, <laughs> I think the worst person, worst thing to tell somebody, right, is to calm down. I mean, I want to see their research on that. Does that right? ever work to tell someone calm down? <laughs> right. Um, I would say no. Radical <laughs> yeah. no. I mean, I, I look my I look at myself in the mirror because I, I can't tell how many times I tell my wife that, hey, calm down, and, and it never works. I'm a good no. research study there. Yeah, that is a <laughs> it is a defeated success right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, we learned that you recently picked up golf too. I know we were talking a little bit before we started recording about that. So welcome to golf there. How's it going for you? Thank you. You know, it is, it is a challenge. And, you know, I, my dad also plays golf. And so he was exceptionally excited when I embarked on this adventure this summer. Um, as we were talking about before, I always try to emulate or do things to remind myself what it's like to be the athlete, what it's like to be in those situations. So I've done ton of Spartan races, Ragnars, CrossFit competitions. And this year, none of those things were happening. And so golf was it. And the first day, I was like, you know what? I'm embracing the suck. I know <laughs> I'm not going to be good at this. I know like, it's, it is keeping those expectations in check. And man, you know, it is really a challenge. The only sport, the ball's not moving, right? You're, you approach <laughs> yep. it. And man, even in I, I've worked up to nine holes now. Like, I don't think I would have the focus yet for eight because, man, you really have – there is a lot of focus there. There is a lot of thinking. There is a lot of, okay, well, that shot was not where we thought it was going to go, but I I can't bring that with me to the next one because this is a brand new one. And so it's so many skills um, that I have had the opportunity to practice in real life. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, yeah, let's talk about that short-term memory because I've heard a statistic that all the best athletes have the short-term memory issue. So like they forget about bad shots. They can move on. You mentioned that in golf just now. And so um, what's the psychology there about, you know, being able to be successful if you just put the past behind you moving forward with the next shot? Right. So, you know, it's I the way that I I'd frame it to my athletes is like, we have to keep our head where our feet are. You know, physically, it's impossible to not, but mentally, think about even in any situation, you know, if you're here, our brain races in the future what's next, what if, what then, and it gets stuck back in the past. And so very rarely is our head actually mentally where our feet are. And so in embracing that, and, and it's a lot of mindfulness work, a mindful sport, perform- mindful sport performance enhancement I do a lot with my athletes where we need to you know, acknowledge the different thoughts or different things coming in our heads, but be able to let them go and be able to refocus and anchor our attention back to the moment. And you can have different things. Um, you know, you think of an, like an anchor, right? An anchor in a boat. If I toss an anchor over, 
um, no matter which direction a wave is coming, I'm going to get brought back to where I am. And that's ultimately attentional anchors. And so in athletics, it's having things, you know, you can have different key associations of, okay, anytime I put my hands around the golf club, like I focus on that sensation or I'll have athletes that tap their feet on the ground beneath them to anchor their attention back to the moment. Here's that B word. Our breath is ultimately a great attentional (laughs) anchor because if I'm focusing on that breath that I'm having in the moment, like that's literally happening right now. And so in doing that, um, having our anchoring anchoring of our attention to that present moment that we're in can be an asset in bringing our head back to where our feet are. So Megan, do you watch a lot of PGA golf right now? Um, I mean, if I go over to my parents' house, so like my dad okay. has it on, I'll sit there and <laughs> watch it. And But now, you know, I mean, I'll say, you know, this summer I have seen more of it than ever just because now I right. understand, not that I understand golf by any means, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm more familiar with it. And I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm now watching what they're doing with a little bit more of a, a lens of, okay, I've tried this before. Like, let me, what's their core like? Like, where's their weight when they're ending right. their swing? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so if you get a chance, watch a golfer called uh, Matthew Wolf. So what he does before a swing is, I think what you're exactly describing, except it's not with a breath, it's with a quick like knee jerk forward. And then he sets and swings. I think that's his mental preparedness. So watch it next time and, and let us know what you think. And, and we might, awesome. uh, email us and and see if that's right. And we'll get on the next episode for everybody listening. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, you know, so you talk a lot about preparing for a big event and, you know, I have a big golf event coming up in about five days. So I got to (laughs) know, is it, (laughs) and these guys know we're getting together for big golf retreat. So, um, is it too late for me to prepare for that event in five days? I mean, what, what can I do in that short time? No way. It's awesome. So visualization, visualization, 98% of uh, Olympic athletes, this is something they do. Um, I think it was 100% of like coaches or like that, you know, coach at that level will integrate some type of visualizing into their practice because it's our brain is such a fascinating, fascinating organ in that it does all of these complex things and features, but it can be kind of dumb at the same time. So if I am visualizing myself doing something and, and creating a very vivid scene, I mean, you all know what a golf course looks like, right? You can, I'm sure, feel like the golf course in your, or I'm sorry, the golf club in your hand, even if you're not actually having it there. But that visualizing of what you're doing, our brain believes that you just did that. And so if I'm visualizing an upcoming round of golf or an upcoming hole and I'm seeing myself going through it and being successful and and how I'm navigating that, my brain literally thinks I just did that. So not only can visualization be exceptionally helpful for learning um, motion and movement and that kinesthetic sense of things, but also if I'm showing up and I visualized a certain round of golf or a certain hole, if I visualize that 20 times and now I'm showing up doing it, my brain literally is just like, oh, this is number 21. Okay. You know, and so mm-hmm. visualizing is a really powerful tool. And also you can, um, you know, in visualizing, I, I call in the two commandments of visualization, you have to really be vivid with it because the more vivid it is, the more our brain really believes we just did that. The second component is being successful because if I visualizing myself just having it, gong show of a day, well, my brain just thinks I did that. So that's kind of not really going with what I'm doing or my goal there. However, um, you know, I can be successful in different ways. 
And I, I can't take credit for this term. Um, Olympian Olympic swimmer Bria Larson. I was doing an interview with her, and she she called it this. So I, I need to give her credit. But she calls them running fire drills, where she'll visualize you know adverse scenarios or situations, which then she visualizes herself coping with it or navigating that. Um, the best example I can think of, uh, Michael Phelps, and we're all familiar with him. He's a big, big, big visualizer. Um, there's great interviews of him and his coach Bob Bowman talking about it, but. He would visualize these scenarios of what he would want to see happen and also things that he wouldn't want to see happen. One being you dive in the water and your goggles fill up with water. Um, but he would visualize himself like continuing the race and going through it. 2008 Olympics, that literally happened to him. I'm, I forget if it was his one fly or his two fly, um, but he dove in the water and his goggles filled up with water. But he had visualized himself in that scenario. He knew how many strokes he would take per lap. He remained calm. He executed it and he wound up winning a gold medal, not being able to see. And so we can oh, run. Fact, I never heard isn't of that. It, yeah. Right? Isn't that insane? It, yeah. So, so we can, in visualizing, it's such a powerful tool because you can visualize what you, those ideal situations you want to see happen and gain that confidence of like, oh, I've already been here. I've done that. But also you can go through those less ideal scenarios and situations and see yourself navigating them successfully so not only is there a little bit of confidence there, but then you've also thought through, well, what am I going to do here? Um, but that the really important piece is that you are ending successfully. So visualize for the next five days. <laughs> yeah. Is, I mean, is there a time constraint on that? I mean, is it more effective like a half hour before your match or your game, or is it more effective like, you know, the week leading up? I mean, is there, is there kind of a, a study to go with that? The more you do it, the stronger you become at it, you know? And okay. so if you do, if you do it five times, well, then you did five reps. If you do it 500 times, you did 500 reps, you know, and there's, and that's where, um, you know, individual differences with athletes, you know, in, in interviews I've watched with Missy Franklin, she used to not be able to visualize before she went to bed because she would get so excited and she like her body would rev up because she was seeing herself in these races. So for her, that didn't work, but for other athletes, visualizing before they go to bed is a great thing. Other ones, they'll sit in the ready room or they'll sit right before, you know, and visualize the upcoming hole or visualize their upcoming situation or race where other athletes, they don't prefer doing that. And so there's a little bit of, you know, it's not a straight answer there outside of the more you do it, you know, the more of a benefit it's going to have. But in terms of when you choose to do it, that's, you know, a totally an individual thing. Okay. Yeah, you, you talk about, there's another piece I, I found on your, your, uh, your resources. And I think it's your MVP mindset. You talk about um, writing all the things down that you've done preparing for that event. And I thought that was just fantastic advice, um, you know, giving that confidence to yourself. I, I've never actually considered doing that. You want to talk a little more about that? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you think, so this is where, again, these brains, right? You know, our brains, if you think about a round of golf or a practice, right? Say you took a hundred swings and 98 of them were really good, but two of them just sucked. When you leave, those two are going to be the things that are more often popping in your head. And evolutionary wise, there's a function to that. You know, if, if we were existing 2000 years ago, building a hut or something and it wasn't done right or it wasn't finished, there's a really big function for us to remember that so that we make sure to do it so we don't die. Translate that to a sports scenario. If I'm walking away from a practice, more often than not, we're kind of conditioned neurologically to, to remember those negatives. And so we need to challenge ourselves to write down it and reflect on those positives. And so one of the things I encourage my athletes to do is after a practice, after a workout, is to sit and write down three things at least that they did well. Maybe some days they did 20 things well. Awesome. Write down 20. But maybe some days it was like, whoa, 
So finding those three are going to be a challenge, but you actually challenge yourself to go back and think of those things that you did do well, because there are things that you did well in a practice, if and no matter what. It's just giving yourself the time to identify what those were. And so then after those practices, you know, it's you, you're walking away with something that then it's like, okay, th- that was good today. But you'll, you're also then simultaneously building a tool for yourself that then when you're showing up at a competition or a tournament, you now have this list of things you've done well, things that have been successes that you've had in training, even if it was like, wow, it was a really awful practice, but mentally I still stayed in it and I was able to get past those mistakes and be fresh on the next putt or the next ball. You know, those are great. It's like basically like a highlight reel of yourself and the efforts that you've done. And it's a a wonderful thing to put into your mind, you know, before you are taking on that next tournament or competition. Wow. Uh, I think this stuff is fantastic that you're giving us here. I mean, okay, let's let's turn it around and, and let me ask you, um, visualizing your success, where, where are you taking yourself with this? Uh, where do you want to be? An NFL team? Do you want to be in the Olympics? Where, where are you uh, headed with your career? You know, I um, right now have been really working on some online programming because, you know, there's and this was before COVID. (laughs) So I just, I feel like I need to like say that um, where I see the need. I see there's an, you know, whether it's teenage athletes, college athletes, um, you know, having the opportunity. Absolutely. I would love to have an opportunity to work with an athlete that was competing at the Olympic level that I think for, for maybe anyone in my position, like that, that is the Mecca. And ever since I was little, like that is I'm such an Olympics fan. I watch them. I'm that person watching it at two in the morning, like uphill, upstream kayaking. Like I have always been that person <laughs> that I will awesome. watch it and I like camp out in front of the TV for two weeks. Like that is, I just, I just always have. And so that having that opportunity to to be there or work with an athlete that is there, that, that to me would be just phenomenal. Um, but until then, you know, I've been working on online training programs right now. I'm developing one specifically for performance anxiety. I'm going to be launching in the beginning of 2021 because it is an area that, oh my goodness, I cannot tell you the amount of athletes that come in asking about it, the amount of coaches that talk to me about it. it, It's just an area of need. And so um, developing online, a, a program that I have for them that's specifically designed for athletes, for them to learn how to manage it, learn about it. There's also parent materials as well to help them supplement that. And so um, ideally kind of having this online curriculum and basically kind of a, a membership service where athletes have access to resources on all of these different sports psychology topics and content so that if their team or their coaches don't work with a sports psychologist or they don't have one accessible to them or they don't have one that they can afford to work with every week, like you have that content and resources there. And the reason I love sports psychology is I have athletes that walk through the door of my office or right now we work meet visually or virtually, <laughs> yeah. um, but that never would probably learn these different skills of emotional regulation if it wasn't for their sport. And so in my mind, you know, I have an opportunity to teach people these skills that yes, it's helpful for golf, but also when you're having a big project at work or you're going in for an interview of something that, you know, is so important to you and you're feeling anxious about it, you know, these skills translate. And so for me, it's, it's right now until I'm working at the Olympics, um, you know, getting these resources and education to athletes to help them in their sport, but also beyond as well, because we're all humans. That's phenomenal. 
Yeah, I, I really like that. I think your you, your thoughts are just excellent. I mean, I, everything you've gone over is so true with the anxiety, the COVID, the, the breath. I love it. I mean, I think our listeners are really going to tie in. They can find ways with their, because we have, you know, we're, we're golfers, but we also have kids and everything. Like you said, these skills translate. Um, I'm always very thankful for my sports time because, you know, just naturally learn some of these pieces, but maybe didn't even learn, know, know what I was learning along the way. Um, and, and the earlier you can start, I mean, we're seeing it work down to kids and teenagers now with, with this work with anxiety and the breath and, uh, COVID has kind of accelerated some of that, but it, it's really much needed work. Yes. Yes. COVID has definitely shown us some, some gaps, I think, in, in what we're teaching kids and what they have access to. And, and hopefully, you know, we all can kind of use this as a teachable moment, not only in athletics, but culturally as well. Do you, uh, ever picture like yourself in any of those sports movies? I see you and Jerry Maguire, you know, towards the end, you know, that's, is there ever a moment that sticks out? I mean, uh, that you, you see that's where you want to be. You know, I think it's, it's, I just, I am such like a sport nerd, you know, and it's, it's those, like the swimming, the like, like I, over COVID, the Olympic channel was a godsend. I mean, I was watching that stuff all the time, just, you know, in any, any of those things, you know, it's, it's such teachable moments. And I don't think there's any, anything specific that stands out. Um, and like five minutes after we get off of this, I'll be like, oh my gosh, this is what it would <laughs> have been. let us know. Yeah. You, you let know? us know if you think of it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm Rudy. I mean, I think of myself as Rudy at times, you know, you know, up there being held up, you know, you, you can oh, have it. I got it. I got it. Little Giants. Do you remember? Oh, ever seen yes, that movie? yes. The That's Icebox. Rick Moranis. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When I was little, like I would literally pretend to be the Icebox. And I remember like running around my basement, throwing Nerf footballs, like at like the stairs at my in, like invisible quarter, <laughs> like, you know, like that. I'm the Icebox, like the woman forging and like this, you know, kind of overall dude world and that's on the icebox yes <laughs> calm cool collected nice yeah rick moranis of course remember the little giants classic yeah such a great movie <laughs> yeah. so do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find your work absolutely yeah um i am on social media uh you know instagram and facebook uh twitter but primarily instagram at dr megan cannon um which is Megan can you know dr Megan Cannon also my website is drmegancannon.com very easily emailable at drmegan at drmegancannon.com so it's it's pretty streamlined pretty easy <laughs> to find um, and it's Canon with two ends like the artillery not the camera <laughs> got you and we'll put that in the show notes we'll put all your links and website on there for people to to learn more and, and check out your work it, it's really great stuff um, this has been a fantastic interview I'm, I think we came away with a lot of tips for my own self leading up to some of these golf events and for teaching my daughter and our kids out there I really appreciate you coming on Dr. Cannon this has been a fantastic interview absolutely thank you so much for having me this has really been a lot of fun you just listened for free now here's the deal Go to our website at birdiedads.com and join us. You will get our golf starters guide and our golf coloring book for kids free right now by signing up. It just takes an email. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time.